Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Deb Aoki, Christopher Woodrow Butcher, Chip Zdarsky, and myself, David Brothers. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. And I think I did the intro a little bit fast that time, but I did say all of our names in the right order, so I'm, <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> yeah, slowly but surely. Maybe by episode 100, I'll have it down. But we are here today to talk about Mob Psycho 100. It is written and illustrated by the cartoonist One, and it ran on Shogakan's Ura Sunday website for a good five years of this uh, manga, 16 print volumes, which is pretty wild to think about. It spawned a television show, like anime, it spawned a live action show, which was way better than you would expect. Really? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's on Netflix. Okay. Hmm. And it all also spawned a fan base that is like extremely dedicated. Like people who like Mob Psycho 100 tend to really like Mob Psycho 100. Whenever we talk about one, we end up talking about One Punch Man, which is sort of his flagship project. He drew a webcomic about a superhero who can defeat anything with one punch. And when he had to put it on hiatus, like a basically a Jim Lee level talent was on in the hospital, like, you know, really in really serious shape and was like, you know what? If I, want, if I can do anything, if I can survive this, I want to draw comics by this guy because this storytelling is really good. And then it took one punch man was redrawn by Yusuke Murata, took off to the stratosphere, like global acclaim, another hit anime, amazing animation. He's had a remarkable amount of success as a mangaka. And it's funny because he's not, he doesn't look like the kind of artist that you would expect to be super successful in comics. Mm. He's like a very indie style, let's say. <laughs> when I pitched it, Chip said that I was recommending one book by a guy who isn't finishing his drawings and then another book by a guy who doesn't draw. And that's kind of <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. But also, it's sort of like how you define good drawings. Like, he's not going to yeah. cut it at Marvel or DC, but I think that once, like, storytelling and kind of his comedic timing is really interesting and yeah. would make Mop Cycle 100 kind of like a cool discussion amongst the gang. And also, it's funny, it's short, and it's one volume, and I thought all those would be kind of points in its favor. So let's summarize Mob Psycho 100, just so we're all on the same page. It's a very complex and layered work. <laughs> <laughs> From the creator of One Punch Man, exclamation point, a cult is starting to form around my... Oh, wait, this is for volume two. Dang it. <laughs> it is complex. Right? Mm. I didn't even All get right. that from the first volume. <laughs> Do you need an exorcist who works cheap? Reagan's your guy. What's his secret to busting ghosts while keeping prices low? Well, first, he's a fraud. And second, he pays the guy who's got the real psychic power. His student assistant, Shigeo. Less than minimum wage. Shigeo, known as Mob, is an awkward but kind boy whose urge to help others and get along with them is bound up with the mental safety locks he's placed on his own emotions. Reagan knows he needs to exploit Shigeo to stay in business. Yeah, for better or worse, he's also his mentor and counselor. And he also knows whenever the normally repressed kid's emotions reach level 100, it may unleash more psychic energy than either of them can handle. So that's a lot. The uh, translation was by Kumar Sivasubramian, who we've uh, covered a couple times on here. And the editor was Carl Horn, you know, the manga editing legend Carl Horn, who I'm sure we'll get into a discussion about later. And man, like I was reading this today to get ready for the podcast, rereading it. And it was still making me laugh even, you know, like three or four times <laughs> down the line <laughs> because it's so deeply stupid, but like <laughs> smart, dumb, you know, where it's been, it's been mm -hmm. crafted to be this kind of like incredibly credulous main character and his incredibly sleazy boss who I keep reading as Saul Goodman because I watched the Better Call Saul finale last night. <laughs> it kind of works. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And it's part of a history of manga about psychic kids. Like this is the same like micro genre as Akira, for example, with the telekinesis and even the way he draws the textures of the, the like, impacts on walls when things get blown up. Mm. So there's a lot here that we could tackle it from. But mostly I am curious, Deb, what did you think of Mob Psycho 100? <laughs> I'll be honest, this is the first time I've read the manga. And mm -hmm. today was the first time I watched the anime. And <laughs> I'll, I'll explain why it took me till now to read it. It's like, the, 
the manga is incredibly ugly. <laughs> I mean, it just, it, the, the, the drawing is so awful. It made me uncomfortable when I started looking at it, you know, just yeah. like at the first, first few page previews. But then, then I sat down, I read it, I thought, okay, this is funny. I enjoy this. Mm-hmm. It gets, it's kind of like proofs that I have this working theory of manga where you can have, you can have pretty art and a crappy story. That'll get, that'll sell. That's out there, mm-hmm. and you can have crappy art with a good story, and that'll sell too. But crappy art and crappy story won't sell. Or if there's Hopefully. any justice in this world, that's how that <laughs> works. Yeah. Yeah. That isn't always true, but that's how the world should work. Yeah. But but somehow having a a strong story or good you know storytelling can carry crappy art <laughs> mm-hmm. or just. And it's not even crappy. It's just kind of like, it just feels like he he has all these ideas and he knows how to pace them. And he doesn't really care that he doesn't have like this art degree. It's just, he's just putting these ideas down on paper and they are funny. The pacing's great. Yeah. yeah. I did, you know, find myself enjoying the setup, even though it was a familiar setup, but the way that he pulls it off is fun. Mm-hmm. And also like, you know, because I'm a stupid manga nerd, I watched the the anime today for the first time and mm-hmm. compared it with the manga translation and the v- visuals in the anime are better the way it builds up the character is better but the way the dialogue is translated in the manga way better yeah, i thought this mm. read really smoothly mm-hmm. yeah it's so good can you so, uh, so sorry. Yeah. can you imagine if the visuals in the anime weren't better than this <laughs> they try- I feel like it would be harder to do this than to draw it poorly. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. consciously so try to replicate this, no, yeah, there's no way. <laughs> I mean, there are moments where God, I could it see. Would be oh, wild. Yeah. It, it does. It does like pull in from the original manga to look crude, yeah. but just somehow, like the animators just couldn't do it. Like there are moments mm. where it's like, oh, they took the basic character, but they made the pretty girl actually pretty. Yes. Like they couldn't help themselves. <laughs> You know, like yeah. like in the in the manga version, like you know, the mob's you know crush walks by in school, and all the other girls have pumpkin and you know eggplant heads. That's one's way of saying it's obvious that this one girl is prettier because <laughs> he couldn't yeah. do it any other way. <laughs> but in the anime, it's like, oh yeah, well definitely she is pretty, prettier than all the other girls in the show. Mm. And did you watch just the first episode or the entire? Just the first episode, just because I wanted to get a taste of what the difference was. Okay. Did you watch all of the anime? Yeah, I watched all the first. I've seen all the anime up till now. I think they just announced the second or third season. But I have a hunch third that because season, yeah. the comics art is so simple, the animators have it like free reign to go wild with it, you know? They sure do. <laughs> they can do really cool yeah. things. But Christopher, you said that it was beautiful in your favorite book a second ago while Deb was talking about the looks of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's 100%. Uh, what I said, I believe. We'll have to play the tape back on that one. Yeah. I don't know how to go, how big to go with my response to this book. So I'll just simply say <laughs> I think it is fascinating to finally have a book that proves that you don't need to know how to draw to know how to make comics. I think we talk about how comics is a separate, making comics is a separate skill to being a good artist. We talk about that. We've talked about that on this podcast, but we all who talk about comics talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. This dude is good at comics. Like he, he's good at timing. He's good at panel transitions. He does some really interesting things with the language of comics, like when Mob disperses that first ghost, like like eight pages in or whatever, and it's sort of a swirl or whatever. It's all good. Like it reads and it's really interesting. And we as people who have been reading comics basically our whole lives get what's going on because it's good comics. But any individual illustration in this book is mostly terrible. And that's actually (laughs) also fine. Like I think I I know you usually you ask this, so I'll jump the gun. My favorite illustration is when the vice president of the student club comes in and is like, we're disbanding the telepathy club. And it's a full page like super grim, super intense illustration. It's so good because again, you could just point out all of the things that are wrong with it as an illustration, but as a piece of comics and an illustration in a single page splash page, it's so good. It's like really funny. It sells the joke. And I think 
Mob Psycho 100 just is really good comics, and it shows how smart he is as a writer. In my long history of working in art comics, I've dealt with a lot of people who aren't what you would consider like fine illustrators or even particularly like good illustrator illustrators, but lots of people who are great at making comics mm-hmm. and who those are separate skills. In fact, I've met a lot of people who are really good illustrators. Yeah, that one there. Really good illustrators who are terrible at comics, who can't figure out storytelling or movement from panel to panel, I guess is all the ways we talk about storytelling, save their lives. So their, their, their comics end up being a series of pinups. They just don't know, they don't understand the comics part of comics. This is someone who just grew up reading comics, manga, like his whole life, and just sat down and started like writing a manga, drawing a manga, making a manga, and is not particularly good at drawing, but is really good at communicating ideas and understanding his timing and letting things go onto the page in a way that really flows really well. So yeah, I think that Mob Psycho 100 is really interesting. Actually, I was telling Andrew, uh, my husband, that we're going to do Mob Psycho 100 today. And he's like, oh, I liked that one a lot, actually. And I was like, A, you've read that? And B, you really liked it? He's like, yeah, the art's really like doing a thing that nothing else does. And I'm like, yeah, it's not good. And he's like, no, uh, yeah, but anyway, we had a back and forth. It was fun. (laughs) But to wrap up, I will say One Punch Man is better. And I've read some of the bootleg versions of the One Punch Man webcomics he was doing that are in this style. It's like dudes drawing One Punch Man comics. And then I've read the like beautiful Shonen Jump or Jump Plus, I think, One Punch Man comics. Mm-hmm. It's Yusuke Murata, right? Draw, draws yeah. One Punch Man. And it's like, I'm a firm believer in auteurism in comics. I think usually when the artist and the writer is the same person and they draw a comic, they make they create a comic. The comic, it tends to be stronger for it. But One Punch Man, his Yusuke Murata's illustrations of One Punch Man actually elevate all of the jokes. And in a lot of cases, they're the same jokes. So I, until Deb shared some screenshots of the anime, and we'll put those in the show notes at this point, I would have thought that like, oh, it's all the same jokes as the comics, but the anime is just going to elevate them by like looking better and, and whatever. But the translation in the anime isn't as good as the manga. Like it just isn't like, like they, they took the air out of those jokes and, and Deb, Good on you for finding that and doing those screen grabs and doing those comparisons because, wow, that w- I was just like, oh, you really, like you, it is technically an accurate translation, but there's no soul in it. And I felt really bad. But then I got to read the comic and so I was happy. So, yeah, I think this is a really neat book and I'm glad it is published in English. And I don't know, I'd read more. Dude's funny. Like if it, if, if it was on the Shonen Jump app, I would just read it for free because I'm paying for Shonen Jump subscription. $7 a volume. I don't know uh, how often I'm going to get to it, but this is it's the same reason I read One Punch Man. It was just like, you get to the end of a volume and you're like, that was great. I laughed all the way through. So that is my feeling on it. And I would, I would have loved, I would love to now pick One Punch Man volume one and maybe compare it to the One Punch Man webcomics, especially to get Ship's oh. take on it be, to see yeah. mm-hmm. how those things flow and work together. You'll have to hold your horses there. <laughs> yeah. here's something that might be controversial i don't know but sometimes when a comic is drawn poorly it makes it funnier and i think that's oh, yeah, part yeah. of the i think that's part of the appeal here like i think i'd probably i'd probably enjoy not having seen them the one punch man web comic versus the professionally drawn one punch man i'd probably prefer the the more amateur drawn one I don't think you will. <laughs> I don't know because, like, selling selling action is one thing. Selling a joke, like, I, I have real pushback. Like, I can't, I can't watch animation. It, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a blind spot for me because I find it so predictable in the way characters emote and the way the characters deliver punchlines, the kind of timing of animated comedy. And I'm talking like the high end stuff, like not like Simpsons or whatever, like mm-hmm. Pixar movies or what have you. I, I bounce off it. Like I, I think sometimes like a super professional artist just well, those, does the those, thing. Those that, shows have been like focus group to death, right? So yeah, yeah. There's there's yeah. that. And it's just like I, I remember. <laughs> I remember. This is a weird segue, but I have a friend who hates superhero movies. And we went to see, I think it was like X-Men 
two in theaters. Mm-hmm. I was trying to convince him to, you know, open up his heart. And afterwards, he said he hated it. And I'm like, okay, well, why'd you hate it? He's like, because it's got animation timing. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, like you remember that scene when like when like Logan like he's like in the the house and he hears a noise and he like throws his claws out quickly and then like it's a quiet shot of like a kitty cat licking the claws. He's like, that's animation comedy and it's bad. I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah. And I I kind of I kind of see that there's a certain yeah. kind of timing. That's very, very planned out. And I think really good artists tend to plan that stuff out. Whereas this artist is not. <laughs> like a lot of these faces <laughs> and expressions and things are just like, oh man, they, they, they make me laugh in the delivery of the joke. I think this is a, a super, super funny comic. I almost wish, I, I think it, it gets less strong as it goes on. I find that mm. the big kind of set piece in this where he infiltrates the group of the laughing cult, LOL. Yeah, that could that could have been half the length. Like that just goes on so long that I'm just like, okay, yeah, like I get the joke, and you're kind of you, they're trying to elevate it beyond kind of a jokey thing to kind of reveal a bit more about Mob. So I understand mm-hmm. from a storytelling point of view why they were doing that, but they're just so good at the jokes. Like this could just be like a total like, you know, case every ten pages. Because I mean, Mob's great. But Reagan and Mob is perfect. It's a perfect comedy yeah. duo. I love it. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> like the slickness that Reagan brings to everything is so like he just immediately pretends that he understands everything so smoothly. But the but the best part is like like Reagan is like the you know trying to he's like the fake psychic or whatever the fake exorcist. Mm-hmm. But the things he does to trick people. He's so good at those things, he could just do those things. Like he delivers amazing <laughs> massages. He's great with Photoshop. <laughs> like yeah. he, he could have a career doing something a lot more straightforward than doing it through the exorcism, which makes it even funnier. Yeah. Definitely. And he charges so little for shysterism, I swear. Like under 40 <laughs> bucks. It's amazing. <laughs> so Deb and yeah. Chris, with all your manga knowledge, I'm curious if you can pick out what some of one's influences might be because there's one major influence that's actually made it make a lot more sense in my head when I finally learned it. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Psychic. Is it a psychic manga? Can you give us a hint? It's got a very foul mouthed child in the main role. (laughs) Is it, is it our ally? Is it Dr. Slump or no, it's Kran Shinchan. Which apparently, oh so my gosh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and he grew up reading Kran Shinchan, which is set in Saitama, and also the hero of One Punch Man is named Saitama. But so Kran Shinchan oh, is essentially right. like evil Calvin and Hobbes. Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah, people call like Dennis the Menace if he was way awfuler. Yeah, like his parents are bad. <laughs> he's bad. He's always taking his pants off. The Aschin Boogeyman on page ten. Looks like a Kran Shinchan like joke. Like he's always doing like the butt chin thing. <laughs> yeah. And that's a comic where it is kind of what you were saying, where like every 10 pages is like a new set of jokes and like this micro genre of whatever they're kind of dealing with. I think this would have been more successful if it was if it had that structure of like a 10 page gag. But now yeah. that you mentioned Crayon Shinchan, we didn't talk about this last week, but Chi Sweet Home is exactly the same format as Crayon Shinchan, except it's about a cute cat that is like maybe the Shinchan character. When we were talking, oh, yeah. It's like 10 pages. The cartooning of the parents, especially, is sort of in a Shinchan mode, but like way looser than, than that creator. I'm sorry, I don't remember their name right now. But, Konami Kanata. Oh, wow. Oh, no, no, not Konami Kanata, like Shinchan author. Oh, right, right. I got nothing. Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I could totally see that. But it's, I think Shinchan also has a deceptively simple style. It's kind of like one of those newspaper cartoonists where you're like, yeah. oh, this is like, I could draw this until you try to draw, you know, Hagar the Horrible from like in a 360 or like for 365 <laughs> consecutive days or something like that. And you're like, oh, I can't actually draw this. Like I can do <laughs> one perfect Hagar the Horrible if I'm looking at it while I do it. And then everything else is gone. Actually, there was a moment like that in the art that I thought was really good. And it's almost at the end, where I think he's talking about, he's like mentioned something and he's like, you know, people want to be famous. They want to be like pop idols or, or commando action heroes or super like, or like whatever. And like mm-hmm. that is drawn in a charmingly naive version of a realistic style. It's towards the end of the book. I can't remember, but it was like super like, Oh, see, this is what 
this like i don't know the whole thing just felt like it would look like if i was drawing it which was nice actually it was like all <laughs> yeah. the comic stuff was the comic stuff that i kind of get but then if i like you know if i'm looking at another illustration and photo referencing it oh that looks you know not half bad but it's an interesting interesting vibe for me yeah i put a, a picture of shin chan in the chat so chip can kind of see the goofy okay. designs the way this comic looks mm. there's a shin chan game up now though. <laughs> Yeah, it just came out recently, right? I haven't played it yeah. yet. Yeah, Shinchan going around town and having mischief in the summertime. It's great. Awesome. Mm. Yeah, it's finding those little connections is always, it's partly why I like doing like this, like a podcast or a comics criticism or things like that. Because I had this horrible thought that I got obsessed with a few weeks ago about which writers and comics have like visual aesthetics, like defined ones versus like mm. ones who just kind of do what the artist does. And the only name I could come up with was Christopher Priest, who does like captions in a very specific style and rhythm, mm-hmm. while most oh, writers yeah. just kind of like run with the artist. And I was thinking like writers have to understand visual storytelling, so you would think that more ticks and kind of motifs would be present, but sometimes not in you know like in Cape Comics or comics with more than one creator. So for this book to be so successful at different kinds of storytelling. Yeah. And he's like just swinging for the fences with several of these shots. Like if Jim Lee redrew this one, it would also be as successful as, as One Punch Man, I feel. Oh, 100%. 100%. But Chip's point about like bad drawings being extra funny, I think is true because I have this vibe that if you look at chapter one and the last chapter in the book, the last chapter is much better drawn than chapter one, but still kind of in that loose style. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that he kind of found a bad style and leaned into it, if that makes sense. Versus like, this is just how he draws. Mm. Like he found the joke delivery system that worked best for the story. And then he kind of refined it a bit because the lines feel much more confident and also like even by the end of the book. Isn't that just the McLaren? McLaren? I think like he drew 180 pages. So like he has to be a little bit better at the end of 180 pages. Maybe, yeah. But like, I can tell it's, it's computer drawn in some ways because there's a kind of weird Photoshop Procreate pencil quality to it. Mm-hmm. That is, um, I don't know. It's like I struggle with this drawing digitally, right? Because I struggle with the, I can't make the, I can't make the digital pens act like a, like an ink pen, like with that organic flow. It comes with pressure. Like I have to mm-hmm. tweak my pens and stuff like that. This looks like he's used ballpoint pen. <laughs> like the ballpoint pen pen in Photoshop or something. Yeah. Grabbed a bunch of screen tones. But there's some really funny things like uh, like though in the monster at the end, like when he's fighting him, and then it has mm-hmm. like that his arm gets whipped off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or when he like, yeah, just yeah. puts a hole right in him. That was pretty great. That was great. Yeah. It's so funny to think of this series as like a great, great grandchild of Akira. Cause there's so many of the same like <laughs> tropes and things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. The one where he puts the, the bully against the wall and he, it has this dome shaped cracked concrete in back of him. Oh yeah. So I love that. Akira. That's almost that <laughs> yeah. so much. <laughs> Was the art style, did it make you skeptical when you first saw it or is it because of the show you were just like in no matter what? No, I was. I expected this personally. Okay. I knew what this was going to be going in because I had read the one. I think it's called one one version, One Punch Man, or One Punch Man One version, which is the one that he drew. And I was like, yeah, this is exactly what this is going to be. I'd like seen a little. I actually seen it in Japanese. <laughs> I had actually. It sounds like I'm. I've been like kind of negative on it. I actually tried to get this published while I was at Viz. Oh wow! Because they were doing One Punch Man, and I pitched it, and I pitched it like pretty hard a couple of times, and they just passed because their idea of what a jump property and a, and a biz, biz book looks like is very different than this. Uh, that like, even like, even in the like artiest art comicsy days of viz stuff, there's still a different level of sheen of commercial illustration sheen on their stuff. Like I'll give it my all tomorrow is maybe the worst drawn book that viz has ever published from japan and it's still awesome like it's such good art comics that one by the way is about a dad who is a total loser who finds out that his daughter is like doing some stuff to make money on the side 
and can't even scold her because she's making more money than him because he's like just this like failure of a manga it's really and it's a comedy it's like super super black comedy it's super good and super not in print anymore obviously because that's all i recommend but yeah but even that is like better drawn than this i think so i get it and it's just i was actually really inspired because in france the same person the same company that licensed one punch man also licensed this at the same time and then mm-hmm. they just did like counter dumps which is like a marketing thing where you basically like have a little box where you have like the books on the counter that was like half and half it's like one's two greatest you know you know leave and it was like one punch man right next drawn by yusuke murata right next to uh, uh, mob psycho 100 and it was just like oh that's brilliant like oh you think you like this manga well check this one out you're probably gonna like it too and then you know people did it's actually did really really well in france so that's kind of nice i've actually mm-hmm. seen that standee oh really <laughs> yeah like i think i saw photos of it and I'm, i thought oh you know that's amazing that france can do that because that would never be possible in america yeah two publishers putting you know making a display of the same of the, two different books by the same author and trying to make it better together. And that mm, just doesn't especially happen. Especially for manga. <laughs> yeah. The emails yeah. alone would be a nightmare. Oh yeah. The, yeah, sorry. Especially from two different publishers. This is Shogakukan for this one and Shueisha for, for one punch man. So that'd be, that'd be a whole thing. I don't know how France yeah. does any of this stuff that they do. <laughs> quite frankly. I think, I think they don't tell anybody in Japan that they are. <laughs> Yeah, That's maybe. a good way to get it done. <laughs> Beg forgiveness rather than ask permission. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds like a plan, France. Yeah, classic. So, Chip, is this the kind of book, or rather, is this the kind of sense of humor that you're into? Like you said, it was pretty funny, but is this the, are these kind of jokes that you tend to seek out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. It's super funny. I, I like any kind of comedy with kind of strong contrasting characters, like between Reagan and Mob. I think that kind of... yeah duo really works and yeah I, uh, all the jokes hit like there's there's not there's not a lot oh, in wow. here that doesn't yeah yeah uh, it's uh it's up there with the uh, way of the house husband for me in terms of comedy that's great <laughs> yeah, I, yeah i think it's really funny as well and i think it's because there's something about the pacing of it where it's not mean-spirited but everyone's really dumb and it's getting taken advantage of all the time <laughs> It's <laughs> yeah. like a weird balance. <laughs> like it's goofy enough to where the horrible things end up being really funny instead of like objectionable. Mm-hmm. Some of it's really clever too, like the, the milk one. The milk. Yeah, actually, the milk is a good talk. example of what I mean. <laughs> when he drinks the disgusting <laughs> milk and then he spits it out. Like that is so gross to me, like personally. Like that's an actual, that, like I very rarely buy milk and when I have it, I drink it very quickly. I'm afraid of getting yeah. gross milk. <laughs> and <laughs> it makes it such a good joke in this. No one use that against me, by the way, please. <laughs> the whole podcast has been a 77 episode setup to get you to reveal your weakness. That is basically a, uh, it's a, it's like a, it's like a splash page with like yeah. so many like weird uh, lines and textures. And it's like such an intense drawing. And the fact that it's a, a guy, drinking milk yeah it's super funny and the setup to it where the guy's like you know drink this milk and we'll see who laughs and the girl's like don't drink the milk mob and he's like well i like milk so i'm gonna do this contest because i get to drink milk <laughs> <laughs> like that's the level of like it walks that mean slapstick line so so well for me to where i barely notice how mean it is until i have to explain what's happening to someone else yeah and then you're like oh okay well, that's kind of <laughs> messed up <laughs> The the that whole scene with the LOL group reminded me. I'm mm-hmm. only mentioning this so it ends up in the show notes. If anyone here <laughs> is a fan of the comedy stylings of Nathan Fielder, yeah, Nathan for you and the rehearsal before he did those, his this hour's twenty two minutes segment was called Nathan on Your Side, and in it he went to Halifax to sit in on a group called Laughing Yoga. Where, run by a guy who looks like a maniac who just insists that if you force yourself to laugh all the time, you're going to feel better. And it's it's such a good segment. And it's all I could think of reading this. And it's going to go in the show notes and everyone's going to watch it and you're all going to love it. That's my I contribution to this entire podcast. It's like the same joke. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. 
man. Actually, that's the cult is a good example, uh, Christopher, of the mean but funny aspect because, mm. like, just recently Shinzo Abe was assassinated by someone who is angry that his mother gave away their family savings to a cult in like 20, 30 years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. And Abe's family was involved in the cult coming to Japan. Basically, Google it, it's a manga podcast. So it's like a real deal thing in Japan that's like actually very touching. But mm-hmm. here it's almost like a Richard Simmons dance cult in terms of seriousness. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But I also love the fact that what makes Mob really interesting, right? Is like one of the biggest I, I think one of the biggest insults you can throw at someone in Japan is kuki yomenai. You can't read the room. <laughs> oh, really? And like, <laughs> yo, yeah. That's the other wow. KY. <laughs> so it's kind of like, I thought, that like in a way, Mob is almost kind of like on the spectrum and given mm-hmm. kind of a lot of, lot of hassles. It, it's kind of a metaphor for a person who's on the spectrum and then kind of given a lot of shit for not be able to read the room, not being cheerful, not kind of going along with what society says he should do to be, mm-hmm. a, you know, go with the flow and be one of the, cra- one of the crowd, you know? But at the same time, he's not really hurt by that. He doesn't feel like this misunderstood, you know, he just feels like, oh, I can't get the girl because I'm not strong. But he's not like bitter or like, you know, going to shoot up the whole school kind of thing. He's, yeah. He's kind of charming and naive. But I can kind of see this part where it's like he's an anti-hero where like he only was able to beat the cult because says, um, it's not that I hate polite smiles. It's that I can't, even if I wanted to. I'm sure you're all happy, but I'm not good at going with the flow. And I thought, I like mm. this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also really love his kind of singular focus, too, because the the cult scene goes on for a long time without him really interacting and then when they finally like turn their attention to him he's just like sorry is this gonna make me attractive or what like it's not (laughs) it's like he hasn't paid attention to anything going on on any deeper level yeah very funny he's like comfortingly shallow is how i've been thinking about it because it really does always come back to like (laughs) Yeah, like his chances with Subomi, you know, like what's going to make him attractive, what's going to make him cool. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize till I read this that he's a middle school student. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like when I first saw the comic and I saw the anime, I thought, oh, it's a you know about a high school kid. It's like no, he's in eighth grade. <laughs> 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 so that yeah. just added yeah. to it, you know. Like even when Reagan makes like forty bucks from a massage, he only gives like. Mob thirty dollars, equivalent of three three dollars for all that work. <laughs> Man, there was something that reminded me of Don Don, when oh, the yeah. evil villain in the in the cult Dimple comes back and looks like a flying splooge. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. So it's kind of like Turbo Granny coming back as a cat. <laughs> yeah, I could totally see that. Just a bonkers choice. <laughs> <laughs> He looks like a flying snot. <laughs> he looks amazing in the live action version, by the way. Does because he? he's basically Slimer from Ghostbusters, oh my God. but like <laughs> a little bit cheaper version. <laughs> but that reminds me of what I was going to ask about. The Body Improvement Club are barely in this volume, but they end up being one of my favorite parts of Mob Psycho 100. And both in the manga and in the live action. And in the manga, because they're just like, they're bad guys who don't care at all, and it ends up making them like friends to the heroes. Because at first they're the mm. threat, like, oh, they're going to take your room, like you got to get your membership up or else the club is over. And then at the end, it's like, well, the club can just hang out. We don't really need to use the room. It's like such like an anticlimax that I laughed. Yeah. But in the live action version, the Body Improvement Club are so supportive of Mob and everything he does that it's almost <laughs> like, oh, I need friends like these. Like, this is the best. Yeah. <laughs> I think we get like the one little clip of him running and kind of passing out. This ends up becoming like a subplot of them like encouraging him and eventually he can run like down the block and then like a quarter mile. Like he's like inch by inch. <laughs> and it's so funny in real life to hear people saying all of these like basically exercise video things that I was shocked how much I liked the live action version because normally live action anime is uh, better left unmentioned, I think. 
I know Christopher might be a big fan of them, but you know, I'm yeah, not I'm, I'm, I'm that kind he, of stuff. Huge fan, huge fan. <laughs> it's funny. People who like animation hate live action anime or live action manga and anime adaptations. Mm-hmm. And people like I saw the ping pong live action before I was able to, to read the manga or the anime came out. And I love that movie. I actually think it's like super great, but I've met a lot of people who just hate it, who think it's like a complete betrayal of everything that the manga was about. <laughs> and le- and on- honestly, I like I think the anime is more successful, especially because you're adapting a five-volume series into an hour-and-a-half-long movie. But yeah, I don't know. It was good. It sounds really good. It sounds like they're like, okay, we're doing this show about a psychic. Our budget is going to be limited because every budget to do a live-action anime is also always all so limited. Like, what yeah. can we actually beef up that is cheaper to shoot? And it's like... <laughs> teens in a school running club running and like yeah that sounds great like actually like figuring out what works different about the live action and what you can actually afford to do rather than like half-assing all the psychic scenes seems like a good idea to me of course they're all like 20 30 years old as well which makes it even funnier to be honest <laughs> right oh my god Man. yeah so deb did this remind you of any manga like what would you recommend to someone who likes this that's not one punch man gintama maybe Oh, interesting. Sort of another like slapstick, feudal. Yeah. Or a Tokyo Zombie. See, Tokyo Zombie was the one I was going to recommend. I can't believe you stole it. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know another one. No matter how you look at it, it's your guy's fault I'm not popular. Oh. Uh, Watamonte? That's what that one was? The the, the nerd name for that one? I haven't read that in ages. I've never read past the first chapter. I hated that book. Like I, super hated that book, actually, <laughs> I'm gonna add that to the list for the next season. Yeah, season four. <laughs> it's like if you like the aspect of of Mob Psycho 100, where it's this this loser outcast character who doesn't kind of care, but mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. ends up winning anyway. It's interesting. It's not my favorite, but it's something similar. Tokyo Zombie, I guess, because. It is part of that Heta Uma thing where it's just so mm. over the top crazy about two losers stuck in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> one has a mm-hmm. afro. I don't even remember the rest of the plot. Do you remember, Chris? <laughs> it's one of the things I was actually going to mention if for my for my final thoughts. Let's just jump ahead. In the interest of putting the show notes into the actual show, <laughs> Heta Uma, H-E-T-A-U-M-A, but obviously in Japanese, is an art movement from the 1970s that was like, a conscious rejection of materialism because uh, post-war Japan was like the the modernization and like, you know, going back to work and all that kind of stuff. And it was a rejection of like slick brand art in, in all kinds of art, including manga. And Tokyo Zombie translated and brought over by Ryan Sands, translator and manga folk, kind of popularized the Japanese idea of Hedauma, the bad, good art style in North America. Obviously, that there, we had our own you know, version of that here. But this is definitely in the same mold of like people who are rejecting that kind of slick look, which makes what happened with One Punch Man all the more interesting to me. There's a really interesting article up on Crunchyroll, and we'll throw the link to that uh, by Brandon Tedderuck, Mob Psycho 100 and the Hedauma Movement. Check it out. I think if you are looking for something really different in manga i think tokyo zombie is a good one but it's also i think it's one of those books that's out of print and if you try to buy it online it's 800 dollars. but if you go into any comic book store they've got a, a copy mark down to three bucks <laughs> on like a shelf somewhere yeah it's like it's it online prices aren't really real uh for that kind of stuff there it's it's you just have to dig you have to go into a real physical store and buy a copy and it will be cover price or less. I guarantee it. But if you try and buy it online, it's probably going to be ridiculously expensive. But yeah, the head movement, I've got a lot of books like that on my shelves. Icky was really good at publishing a lot of like deliberately super ugly, you know, looking manga that was hilarious and, and gross and funny. A couple of other magazines that I like were doing the same thing. So yeah, it's cool beans. It's cool. It's cool stuff. <laughs> nice. But if I was going to answer David's other question, which was what manga would you recommend? I would recommend Cromarty High School. I think oh. in this episode, David has done a good job of selling the like the running club. Uh, sorry, the the body perfection. What, what are they called exactly? The body improvement, improvement. club. The, the body improvement <laughs> club, where it's just like a bunch of like kind of weird takes on like tough bros like but they're like school bad boys they've all got like kind of pompadour as well as much as he draws pompadours and whatever cromarty high school is like again a group of like delinquents except it's pure comedy and it's just over the top slapstick 
like ridiculous. And then I didn't even, I was like, yeah, kind of until you mentioned that in the live action, they're all played by 30 year olds. And one of the, <laughs> one of the students in Cromarty high school, who's part of the gang is literally like 35 year old Freddie Mercury. Who's just there with like his like sort of gay clone macho, you know, sunglasses and Tom Finland cap on and he just hangs out with the with the crew in his suspenders and like shirtless and you're no one ever comments on it also there's a robot it's a it's, it's a, a wacky wacky book and it's a wacky anime as well so if you like what David's been talking about and you and you need your fix of like wacky <laughs> Japanese high school hijinks Chromedy High School would be my recommendation that's a great oh what about Osamatsu-kun oh yeah also good they're equally dumb. We're just, we're just naming off David's show. favorites now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Osamatsu's the one. Are they sex tuplets? They're six twins. <laughs> six sex tuplets. <laughs> yeah. And they all have similar mm-hmm. names like Jushimatsu, Koromatsu. Do you want to do the, the pitch, Deb? <laughs> it's based off this famous gag manga by Fujio Akatsuka. And it's basically about these brothers who are all look alike but they don't act alike and they're all but they're all equally stupid and lazy <laughs> there, there are different degrees of stupid and delusional <laughs> yeah but it's very funny the reason why i kind of got like the second life because this this came out in the 70s is that they had an anime series where all the voice actors for all the osomatsu brothers were all these super hot male voice actors that everybody loves Mm. so basically it's kind of like you got this goofy anime and then you had like brad pitt leonardo dicaprio and like all these hot guys (laughs) giving them the voices (laughs) yeah amazing it's amazing (laughs) yeah So not to sell him out, but David was a big fan of Otsumatsu-kun when we went to Japan and he was like looking at different kinds of merch and things like that. And I couldn't figure out why this like gag monk spinoff of a gag manga from the seventies, all the merch was in the girls sections of like all the stores we went to. I yeah, didn't realize that was it is that they were all voiced by like super hot idol dudes. <laughs> and that's why it was all like in the ladies and girls section of the manga store. That's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Just close your eyes and you swoon. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to make this the Osamatsu episode, but I do have to say the bit that sold me on this show was they did a Saw parody called Jigsaw because there's, you know, the character's named Jigsaw where someone keeps kidnapping the wrong brother and getting increasingly angry and not finding the one he wants to kill. (laughs) And like Mob Psycho, it's so dumb, but it commits the bit so hard that I was in tears by the end of the segment. Like it was just so perfectly pitched. (laughs) Deb, do you want to do your final thoughts on Mob Psycho? I'm glad you made me read this. (laughs) I've always wondered why people thought this was so brilliant. Because every time I read read Mm -hmm. the preview pages on Dark Horse, it would keep coming up to that page of the guy pushing his pushing his nose up and making that really weird face. And I thought, (laughs) hard no, hard no. I love that page. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just didn't get it. And then now I'm reading. I was like, oh, okay. This is I'm enjoying this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Oh man. And Chip, how about you? I, I was in from the the beginning, and that guy making that face, pulling his nose back, is one of my favorite drawings, maybe of all time. It's so good. <laughs> I, I should also mention a drawing that made me laugh a lot, because you can tell that he spent a long time doing it. 185, it was like the drawing of the the boss <laughs> ghost character. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the wrestling so heel, loving column. Yeah, yeah, the wrestling heel is so lovingly rendered and just such a funny looking creep. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of great drawings in this, and by great I mean funny. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> the in this segment there's another one. My final thought is essentially apparently anticlimax is one of the funniest things in the world to me, and this fight with the ghost <laughs> is the same thing. Like you see the ghost, he looks like a weird dude, and they have the fight, and it doesn't go like you'd expect, and then it's over, you know. Yeah. But like, just Mop Psycho's full of these jokes that are perfectly set up, and then even if the punchline is obvious, it's still really funny. And when the punchline's not obvious, like you really don't see it coming. Like the cigarette burn thing that the ghost was doing. <laughs> like who knew poltergeist <laughs> had cigarettes at the ready? 
Yeah, so Mob good. Psycho 100 by one. It's a good time. I got to ask David, because I haven't read through the yeah. rest of it, but does Mob ever figure out that Reagan's full of shit? I think they have a heart-to-heart about it, but he's still like a good mentor and gives him good advice, despite being like utterly ruthlessly capitalist. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they have a strange relationship that evolves over the course of things. Because, like, he's not wrong about a lot of stuff, about, like, fitting in and, like, finding your own place, but he's using it all to just make money off this middle school kid, you know? Yeah. Excellent. But all right, so we're going to take a break. We're going to get our mob meter down to about 0% again and run some ads or something, <laughs> and then we'll come back with some Q&A, some shout-outs, some of that good old-fashioned manga explaining magic. See you soon. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details all right. So we just had a honestly amazing conversation about Mob Psycho 100. Please rewind if you missed it somehow and fast <laughs> forward directly to this point. <laughs> so we're going to close out with some Q&A. We haven't done that in a while. We, we've been delivering double manga to the Manga Explaining Faithful for a few weeks. So we're going to kind of ease back on the gas pedal a little bit. Christopher, I hear you got a question for us. I do. This one comes from Ale Joseso on Instagram. They ask... Is there a general reason why mangaka mostly do the art as well as the script? I rarely see this in comics. It mostly happens in indie comics. Is it mainly because the writer simply doesn't know how to illustrate? So a lot of single creators in manga and a lot of, you know, artistic teams or much larger teams in in, you know, North American comics. I thought this would be a good question because we have an author this week who both does his own comic and works with illustrators to do their own comic. Kind of like one Mr. Chip Zdarsky, if I think about it. Oh my so I God. thought it would be fun to throw it to the crew. Chip, do, call, do, not draw, do not draw Daredevil because you don't know how to draw? Or what's going on? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I don't know how to draw Daredevil, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, mm. I think we may have covered this before. Just the idea that there's such a history in the North American comics market with kind of the DC Marvel stuff of kind of assembly line comics making mm-hmm. and also the idea of mm. like when when stan lee you know was the king of marvel comics they wanted his name on as many books as possible so the best way to do that is to yeah. obviously put him on a bunch of books they want jack kirby's name on a bunch of books so all of a sudden you know kirby doesn't write kirby doesn't ink himself yeah so it's just about kind of putting out the work as quickly as possible and utilizing your your talent on those books across as many titles as possible. So and that that's just kind of carried over and I think because everyone grew up reading them that way that if you love comics and you want to make comics but you don't feel like you're a strong artist, you're like, "Well, I'll just be the writer of the comics then." Instead of, you know, Mob Psycho 100 where he's just like, "Ah, screw it, I'm going to draw it too." <laughs> because there's also yeah. there's there's a certain there's house style as well. At a lot of these companies, which is a lot trickier to kind of pull off, I think, than just kind of finding your own voice as a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, th- I think that affects it as well. Yeah, definitely. I have a spicy take on this. Ooh. Oh, me too. Love it. You first. The editors in Japanese manga magazine are way more involved in story creation mm. and story development than they are in America. And so, in essence, artists art manga creators get much more support developing story and characters thanks to the editors than they would in America. They -hmm. also have more ownership of their creations. They start from a blank slate, you know, like basically when Chip's writing Daredevil, he's basically writing from a foundation of, I guess, standing on the shoulders of giants, if you want to put it the nice way, (laughs) starting with a playbook and having to work within it. So, 
I guess the other thing too is I, I think it's not as rare as you would think. Like right now, there's a lot of light novels, for example. So mm -hmm. writers get a chance to write a story and then hire an artist. So the idea of the manga being this writer artist artur thing all the time is not necessarily true. Mm. I mean, it's not. It's more common. It's it's more common in Japan than it is America. So therefore, that's why it feels a little abnormal or a little different. Mm -hmm. But you know, we all we've talked about the the assistant system, right? Yeah, that makes it possible, which is not nearly non-existent in America, frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Until this question, I didn't realize that the assistant system in Japan is kind of our equivalent of the like a simply line approach. Yeah, yeah. And the big difference there is that we had Will Eisner and Jerry Iger, with Eisner and Iger in the fifties, who sort of no thirties. Uh, sort of like well, created 40s, the yeah. assembly line format, you know, like making one person writes, one person draws, inker, lettering, blah, 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 all down the line and found mm -hmm. great success doing it. And I think that defined U.S. comics in a lot of ways, even into indie comics. You know, sometimes there's like creator-owned writers who are like specifically just writers, like they don't draw their own stuff, even though you'd expect cartoonists to be more common in those kind of fields. And I don't know, it's interesting. It's just sort of like we kind of have to live with what we have and the pros and cons of each system. I don't I don't necessarily like the American system where it's like someone just develops their one muscle of writing and someone develops their one muscle of drawing. Yeah. And someone develops their one muscle of lettering. I feel like I think more interesting things happen when people learn how to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. yeah. I would love it if a lot of artists wrote and a lot of writers drew because you'd get better comics just Mm. even within their own disciplines like mm -hmm. it doesn't happen super often for me but sometimes i'll be you know, i'll write a script for an artist and then the artist will draw it i'm just like well you're not even you're not thinking about the writing at all you're not thinking about the, the story and you know and the reverse can happen as well with an artist and a writer mm. and i also think they should learn how to letter <laughs> because so many artists <laughs> don't even leave the room for the lettering which is super aggravating like they're designing pages thinking that they're the end part of the process. They're rather not yeah. drawing, thinking about the coloring, or they're not drawing, thinking about the lettering. Whereas, like, I'm probably better at that just because I do all of it. So when I do, like, I, I just had a book out this week, a Daredevil book that I, I drew a four-page story in it, but I didn't letter it. It's the, it's the one thing I didn't do on it because I don't think I'm a really strong letterer. But, like, I definitely... Mm roughed it in i definitely left the room for it because i understood that you know <laughs> that's part of the comic page design yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a weird industry and yeah i, th I think everyone would do well to kind of learn the aspects of the other disciplines it, it's like my number one thing when somebody says they want to get into writing comics usually what they mean is like marvel dc they want to know how to do it i'm like well learn to draw like that's the big one. One, you can actually produce your own comics, but also mm. you'll learn so much in the process by doing it. You'll know what's possible. Yeah. That knowing what's possible is so crucial, I think, because like I mentioned earlier, like there aren't a lot of writers who have a visual aesthetic. And I think it's a shame because mm -hmm. like as a writer in American comics, like in the situation right now, you're kind of like the first creative mover in a lot of ways. Not necessarily the best or the most important, yeah. but like you're kind of like firing the starting gun. So you could set up so much cool stuff yeah. just by kind of thinking visually instead of like building to the the Watchmen style I did it 35 minutes ago dialogue plot twist. You yeah. know, it's <laughs> yeah, still yeah. cool, but you know, uh, it's it's tricky to to do that in the Marvel kind of DC system because you're working with so many different artists, and like I probably have like a style when I'm writing that should come across visually, but a lot of times it just doesn't because the artist either ignores what I'm asking of them or is doing such a, such a different take on it mm -hmm. that you can't see it across titles. You can't see it across collaborators. So that, that makes it tricky. If I worked with somebody specific, maybe it would feel different. Yeah, mm. for sure. And Christopher, what, what what's your take? My spicy take is yes. that... Uh, this is the spiciest take on a manga podcast. Mm. I actually like the American system a little better in some ways. Because 
we know the name of every single person that works on every single Marvel comic. And this didn't always happen. It, you know, obviously people had to fight for recognition in the late seventies through the eighties and nineties. But like you pick up an issue of Chip Zdarsky's Zaredevil and it's not Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil, it's Chip. And then there's his artist and his colorist and his inker and his letterer and his editors and his like all the people who worked on the book get a name credit. And when that happens in manga, we actually call it out as being something really shocking and weird, like in Ajin, for example, where it's like, oh, he listed every single assistant's name. My Hero Academia, he has a page at the end, back of every book with every single assistant who worked on the book. Uh, I think that that's actually really good. I, I understand the idea that a lot of assistants in Japan don't want their names out there because they see it as like a like a gig, like a journeyman work or an illustrative gig where they're like contributing to someone else's ideas. And when they make their own debut, they want to stand on their own two feet. You know what I mean? Like it's a different, the thing that, that it comes down to is a totally different mindset for how people approach it. But I do like that people get credit in, mm. in the American system. And it's it was a hard, hard fought battle. Like we're talking not just cover credit, which is the current battle for a lot of people in the American system, but like, credit at all didn't used to happen. You know what I mean? There's a lot of old books. I was just watching, a, a, because of you guys, a Brevert, a Tom Brevert interview with, with Zub, who was like, yeah, and the inker on that one was such and such, because Brevert's just got all that info in his brain, right? But it wasn't in any of the books. It's just mm. he had to figure it out. So I like that. That's my spicy take there is that like I like that people get credited for their work. And that's actually a big deal for me as someone who just has worked a long time supporting artists. But the other spicy take is like, I... I think that if Grant Morrison and Alan Moore had come up in the Japanese system, they would be the illustrators of their books. I think that Alan Moore and Grant Morrison at the beginning of their career both drew and actually did draw some of their own short comics and things like that. Uh, Moore still draws something every once in a while. I think Morrison's just doing sketches that show up in the back of like Final Crisis or whatever. But if he had worked with an editor to improve his illustrations and then had a team hired after he showed that he could like do a competent eight page story or something like that, and then had a team hired to like supplement his work with background artists and things like that, Grant Morrison and Alan Moore would be singular creators. And, and, and I think that that's like a very spicy, like very spicy take. There's no way to know that for sure. Like we're talking, you know, alternate dimensions, but the other yeah. side of that is that like, even if they were singular creators, just like my take on Mob Psycho, when you bring in a Dave Gibbons or you bring in a J.H. Williams III, it elevates it. Like Even if Grant Morrison was a great illustrator, even if Alan Moore was a great illustrator, J.H. Williams is his own illustrator and, and Dave Gibbons is his own illustrator. Like These are people that have their own special skills. And that collaboration has really produced something spectacular. Actually, J.H. Williams, I guess, worked with both. Like Promethea is gorgeous. And I think if Alan Moore drew Promethea, it would still be a really interesting, good book. But like interesting book let's go with but jh williams like his decoration his his influences his history of illustration just brings a different thing to the table and i think that that you shouldn't undercut that contribution that the artist is making by saying even though these people could have done it on their own that the artist isn't bringing in something extra so yeah i think that's my that's my take the flip side to that is maybe grant morrison would have made some of those comics better than what they did with their artists on some of those books like you know you can you can highlight only on some of them <laughs> you can you can highlight jh williams or dave gibbons but and i'm not going to name any names but there are a lot of grant morrison comics out there that maybe don't have the best artists on their books that maybe would have benefited from grant morrison directly drawing them yeah. or at least doing layouts eh? yeah i could see that while you were talking, Christopher, I was trying to find the manga I read recently where the <laughs> author like thanks their assistants for teaching them how to do basic drawing stuff like perspective. <laughs> I can't one for of the, the life of me we... find it. Which one is this one? <laughs> I will I will poke around my apartment. I must have read it in the past week or so. I read too much oh, manga, uh... much like that. But the <laughs> it reminded me that assistants aren't necessarily just like rookies. Like Christopher said, they're journeymen or they're mm. gig mm. players sometimes. So they will have mm like a body of knowledge that's very valuable for the, the, I guess the public facing creator, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was a good question. I like that one. I don't know if we, I think we answered it. We have a history of kind of answering questions on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Getting in the ballpark. And if we did, yeah. they could always send another question to rephrase. <laughs> no, but yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah. We have another 15 minutes for you if you want more. <laughs> 
I think that's a pretty good stopping point for this episode of Manga Explaining. We did Mob Psycho. We did a lot of talk about credit and stuff like that. I think we had some fun. Next week, Christopher, you're hosting, and we're talking about something called Our Colors. The Gengar Tagame. No idea book. where that is. Oh, Gengar Tagame. Cool. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. It's gonna be it's gonna be a wild gonna be a wild sad ride. Oh, great. Hopefully there's a comedy the week after. <laughs> Is there a comedy the week after? Space Brothers. Yes. All right. I'm winning. All right. All right. We're going to take a break for seven days and see you next week. This has been Manga Explaining, and we will see you later. This has been Manga Explaining episode 77, Mob Psycho 100 by 1. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing Our Colors by Gengoro Tagami. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com or check your local library for print and digital lending options. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com and check out our newsletter and digital publishing endeavor at mangasplainingextra.com. Thanks to DADS for the musical accompaniment this episode. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.